Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits. I'm sure many of you watched the documentary. That was on RTE. And it was called Women of Honour. And it was in relation to women who had worked in the Defence Forces and had been sexually harassed, abused. Uh, the misogynistic culture that existed uh, within the Defence Forces and probably still does to some degree. Well, I read an article this morning, a very interesting article by Declan Power, security and defence analyst. And let me just read you a little bit of it before I talk to Declan. It says, The recent Women of Honour documentary by Katie Hannon has again highlighted an issue many thought had been dealt with, the abuse of women within the Defence Forces. The documentary was disturbing and brought a visceral reaction from me, not least because I had served with two of the, the women whose stories of abuse were actually featured quite prominently in the documentary. And he joins me on the air. Good afternoon to you, Declan. Good afternoon, how are you? A uh, shocking documentary, um, a real eye-opener for people who had no idea what was going on. I think we would be all aware there was a male-dominated, it was a male-dominated, uh, obviously, industry, so to speak, or certainly a male culture, um, but nothing to the degree that we heard, uh, you know, when we heard the commentaries from those women and, and, and them talking about what they went through, and two of them actually you knew yourself. I mean, a lot of people kind of dismissed it initially, I suppose, as women in a, in a lad's culture, and maybe they should man up a little bit, but that's not exactly what happened at all, sure it's not. No, it's not. And you put your finger on a lot of uh, interesting uh, elements that kind of help contextualise and explain this, Niall. You see, um, you know, let's get a few parameters in place. Look, abuse is unacceptable in any walk of life. Uh, and and uh, on the worst end of the spectrum, there have been cases of, uh, of assault, uh, and and I think uh, you know, rape or so, you know, certainly there have been investigations uh, within the defence forces. Now they tended to be more you know retro you know from you know in the period twenty years ago. And I remember uh, some of your listeners may remember uh, he was on the uh, RT News uh, last uh, the other night. Tom Conan, Doctor Tom Conan, former army officer, former colleague of mine. I sat. Uh, uh, opposite a desk from Tom in defence headquarters for a period. And I remember chatting about his PhD research that he was doing at the time. About well, the, the research was about women in the military, per se, you know, on an international basis. And a segment was about mm-hmm. Irish uh, women. And he was talking about some of the, and, and I didn't agree completely with some of his points. This is about how women should be integrated or within to uh, military life. But uh, when he was talking about the abuse-related stuff, he said, this is pretty serious. This is kind of big. This is going to have to be dealt with. I was a little bit shocked and maybe thought he was, you know, did he really, you know, was there some stuff being exaggerated? But what went on to happen, Tom got a PhD from Dublin City University. Now, they don't dole those things out like lucky bags. And it was based on, on his research. And it, it led to a Ferrari and a, and a public row between Tom and the Defence Forces that at the time was quite ugly. But on a positive note, what came out of that were new regulations, new procedures, and I really thought that 20 years ago that had been settled. Now, the Women of Honour uh, documentary shows us uh, that perhaps the worst excesses have been dealt with, but that, that there's still a cultural issue within the forces. And you use the term misogynistic. And I'm not sure is it misogynistic, but you see that this is the, the challenge. Uh, a military formation, whether it's the Irish, British, US, Australian, French, there is the whole concept of creating the warrior mentality. 
And there are some purists who would say, well, you know, women are incompatible with that. Now, I don't subscribe to that. I might have done 20, 30 years ago. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been, I've, like most Irish men, I suppose, and I'm 52 now, I've been on a bit of a journey in, in terms of how I view these things. And largely that journey has been informed by, I suppose you can relate to this maybe now yourself, uh, when you work with people, whether they're black or white, old or young, women or, or men, you, 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 you kind of develop a camaraderie, a collegial relationship. Yeah. And you know, you and know, you know the lines you can't step over. You, you, different people have different lines and you get used to people and you get used to working with a group precisely, of people. Yeah. Precisely. And I think the crux of it is, whether it's in military life or civilian life, but this is crucial for military life, is that when you're serving with somebody in a unit, they become your comrade. And you've got their back and they've got your back. And if you're in a superior rank position, then it becomes more important that you look out for them and their welfare and that they can come to you with any issues and they don't feel uncomfortable. Even By the way, that, sense- that was part of it that, dis- that was found quite disturbing. And I can't remember the, the lady's name, but she was given her account of what happened and she had been sexually assaulted. And the very officer that sexually assaulted her was the one who was investigating it. And he, she, he was the one she had to sit beside the next day in the mess or whatever it happened to be. Exactly, and, exactly. And that whole idea of them investigating themselves, essentially. Well, the, in, in, in fairness, I don't think he was, in, he was investigating per se. Now, in, in a military uh, community, you have military police and you have, a, you have what's called a special investigation branch. Uh, so they would be investigating. And in fairness to them, they're a bit like IAD, you know, the people would have seen internal affairs in police units. They're, um, they don't go easy on soldiers. Uh, they're, they're a separate entity. But as part of the, I think it was before an investigation that there was a, a disciplinary process within the unit that's overseen by the commanding officer. And as part of that process, the officer that was uh, being accused got to cross-examine the accuser. That's right. And that, that doesn't happen in civil law anymore. It, no. it may have done... It sounds like a kangaroo court, to be honest with you. Well, it's, a, it's an anachronism, and it's an, it, it creates an unnecessary level of emotion. I mean, there should be... Look, basically put, the military needs to re-examine its processes and procedures. And then on a broader note, and this is what the point I wanted to make in the article, like the worst end of the spectrum about assaults and, um, and rapes and things like that, there probably is a, a reasonably decent process now to some extent, because that's the serious end. But what I wanted to get across, and get across more to an audience of, of men of around my own age, maybe, and, and maybe a bit younger, that the cultural process has to be examined. Like uh, uh, Quartermaster Sergeant Karina Malloy makes a point about being on duty. I think it was in Lebanon. So an active service situation. Well, I read, her, I I read her story. Yeah, yeah, I go. Uh, and I mean, this is the ten-ended wedge that some people might dismiss. And she was on her birthday. She was given a present of salacious underwear by her platoon sergeant with, I think, something like, wish I was here or something written on the front of Now, People, yeah, yeah uh, I think it was yeah. a little bit more graphic than that, technically. But yeah, but I think, no. so she was given this this kind of underwear. Yeah, would wish I was in there or whatever it was written yes, on the front exactly, of the underwear. Exactly. Which, yes. The point being, now, the point being, like there was a time. You know, some people might laugh and say, "Oh, well, grow up and you know, get a thicker skin and things like that." But what what that, what was happening there was that was under that was to use a, a sociological phrase that was othering her. How could she? It was hard enough for a woman to kind of get you know uh, settle into a. A very it's much undermi- it's undermining her apart from anything else. Exactly. And trivialising her. 
and here's the other thing. I, I, I've met, I don't know her that well, but I served with her briefly in McKee Barracks when she was attached to a unit that uh, support, logistically supported defence headquarters. Now, this is a woman that was a founder member of Women in the Defence Force. She was one of the first uh, platoons of women that went in. Dunny Goldman, a tall, athletic woman. If ever there was uh, a woman designed for military life, I would have said it was Karina Malloy. She was one of the first female physical training instructors in the early stages of her career. And, you know, she would be a pretty tough-minded woman. And I can only imagine, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it, it put, it created an interruption between the camaraderie that should have existed between her and her, her fellow soldiers. And the, other, the, the sergeant himself, the, what, there was an immaturity there. He should have known better. Now, he, I'm not saying he was an arch criminal or that he set out to undermine her, but the, the cultural issues. Now, I do think... No, I, and I know, I, I know what you're trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. That it's not the crime of the century, but it erodes somebody's uh, personal... It does. It's the start. Yeah, absolutely. It's the start and, 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 of, and erodes. Of a process. Yes. I mean, and, and, I mean, and do you, by the way, Declan, do you think that a lot of this male culture that was in within the Defence Forces and still exists within the Defence Forces, do you think that's the reason why no matter how much money they spend, for example, and we spent quite a substantial amount of money advertising going back about four or five years ago to encourage women to join the army, that they still have been really unsuccessful. Do you think it's because women see it as, you know, this kind of male-dominated arena where it's, you know, it's all rough and tumble and it's men and I just can't go in there because I won't be welcome? No, I don't actually. I think, and I, I, this is another thing that annoys me. I think that the military authorities and the uh, governmental structure, the, the, the department, have been obsessed with trying to push the numbers of women in the Irish Defence Forces up to 12% because all our European partners are similar. Instead of looking at the granular reality, you know, and, uh, another thing that would have annoyed uh, my generation of, of soldier of all rank was the optics. There was a constant obsession with pushing women to the front for photo opportunities. And you know what? It didn't do any, uh, it didn't do any help. It was, was trying to that was kind of tokenism, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was tokenism. Aren't we great? And here's the few women going off overseas. And all that was doing was, again, contributing to a blockage between them being fully accepted. They should have been always within their unit, within their subunit, uh, or whatever else, that they were part of, an, an integral part of that. And instead, uh, what was being ignored was, what is the reality for a woman in, uh, in military life in Ireland? And are, we, are the right systems in place for them to feel you know, reasonably comfortable and protected. I say reasonably in that there are times when you're in an army where you're never going to be, you're not going to be comfortable. But that the camaraderie and the bonding and the assimilation within the unit, that that is working. And I think that was neglected. It was neglected because of an obsession with... And, and by the way, correct. I know you gave the, the example of Karina Malloy. There's many other examples. You talk in your article about Yvonne O'Rourke as well, Captain yes, O'Rourke. Yeah, I, I, I did my cadetship with her, yeah, Yvonne O'Rourke. And, and, and she, she felt targeted. had a very tough time. She felt, And this is the thing. This It disturbs me all the more because I haven't seen her for a long time or our paths didn't cross but um, you know when you go through the kind of training that you go through in the military college you know there's a bond like there's a reunion coming up for, for that class and we all took very different paths and we all like to get together every so many years because we have that shared suffering in common and it really disturbs me to think that Yvonne O'Rourke uh, had to go through what she went through. And indeed, there are one or two others that names, that, that names aren't gone public that I know of who went through uh, tough times because of being in this grey world where they, made, they suffered something and it wasn't appropriately dealt with by and, the and, and look, and I, and I want to once again say, because I see some text coming in here as well, and there is some very serious stories we could talk about as well, and there, there's also, also these ones too, which are things that kind of just erode people's, well, particularly with women, their femininity, right? But, yeah. but in saying that, there are people who are saying, oh, you know, having a thick skin. And look, there is no doubt when you're in a, an environment like the Irish Army or the Defence Forces or you're away on tour or whatever it is, on a tour of duty, that you've got to have a bit of a thick skin. And there is going to be a yeah. camaraderie, as you said, 
said there might be a little bit of banter back and forward between men and women and nobody dismisses or says that shouldn't happen or doesn't happen of course it happens and that's perfectly fine but in saying that when you see individuals being targeted purely for the fact that they're a woman you know within a group of men in this situation it's it's not only embarrassing it's undermining uh, and it's detrimental to their career Absolutely. And this is the thing, it comes back to having somebody's back. That is the military ethos. And I want to make a point here as well that's slightly kind of at odds nearly with what I've been saying earlier. The military way of life is, is to my mind, always going to be male-dominated. There is always going to be a very much, a, 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 maybe not, maybe male is the word, a warrior-type ethos. Now, in the U.S. military, they've kind of come to terms with this because this is what gets you through the rough. I mean, you, you, you're talking about creating forces that, uh, okay, if they're not going to be fighting all-out wars, they're going to be going through, the, the to- at times, they're going to face in their career very tough, life-threatening situations. So camaraderie, bonding, tribal kind of uh, relationships are important. Well, but by the way, argue, Declan, you, do, do, you do, do you know the figures? Sorry, sorry for interrupting you, Declan, but do sorry, you know the figures in the U.S. Army? What, what percentage of the U.S. Army are female? Do you know? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's roughly, uh, let me think, um, would it be a fifth now, I think, something like that. Okay. In fact, there's a very interesting book written by, uh, she was a feminist academic called Stephanie Guzman, uh, called The Kinder, Gentler Military. And what she, she set out initially to condemn the U.S. military for not speeding up assimilation. But her book turned out to be a condemnation of the obsession with optics and female members of the forces that were being routinely abused in basic training by male instructors because of a, a, a kind of a, a desire to push this to one. Nobody, including female congresswomen, wanted to acknowledge that for a period, the U.S. armed forces were not a safe place for female ranks, females of all ranks. Now, that has changed. And the U.S. military is still very much a potent war-fighting force, and military have sorry, women have their role within that. And the, I think the important point to take out of it is, though, there will only ever be a certain percentage of women, just like there's only ever a certain percentage of men interested in that kind of well, a lifestyle. Well, generally, and that kind it's of a particular type. When I say a particular type of person, it's a particular person who wants to win that. I mean, look, you've got to be fairly physically fit. Uh, to yeah. be in the army, yeah. I mean, it's not—it's not certainly not for me. Um, you got to be fairly physically fit. Yeah, I mean, they—they they used to have height restrictions. They don't have height restrictions anymore, do they? No. Uh, well, I think they do. It's—it's it's height to body ratio. So right, that okay. your height must meet your your ratio. But it, there are very certainly within the military, there are very stringent physical requirements. Now, it's not that you have to be the strongest or the or, uh, or the most endurance, but you have to have a certain platform. And then within the military. Not everybody has uh, the same standard of fitness isn't required. Of every, there's a baseline that everybody has to attain every I'm, I'm year. I'm assuming there's a different standard of fitness for men and women as well, but similar to the Garda Shaykhana or indeed the fire department when you enter, that, you know, they, they have a different requirement or different tests they do. Well, for... that's, yeah, there are, yeah, the diff- it's not so much a different standard of fitness, but the, uh, we'll say ways of testing it that are appropriate. Like when I was in, for example, and I think it's still the case, uh, females didn't do the full press-up. They did press-ups on their knees. And that was to take into account the difference in upper body strength mm. uh, and, and various things. And a female Marine officer in the U.S. one time wrote a paper for uh, Military Review talking about, the, again, the obsession with optics uh, at the expense of reality. She was a very fit, uh, hardy woman who had played ice hockey at a very high level uh, in her university years. And she talked about the difficulties in active service overseas there was an awful lot of lower limb injuries amongst female personnel on overseas service and indeed during training that oftentimes kind of got covered up 
And yeah. what was that? Was the load bearing wasn't quite, uh, you know, males and females are built differently and have different of course, capacities. That's not to say we're unequal. No, no, no. Like well, we all, we all have our strengths in different ways, of course. Exactly. Well, 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 just just to clarify it. as well, um, I, I asked that question. I kind of put you on the spot, Declan. I do apologise. Women now comprise 14.4% of the 200,000 active duty uh, in the force of the US forces. So 14.4%, right. it's a pretty high percent, by, by the way. It is, but then look at the size of US society and look at the size of the US military. Like, again, I come back to the point that the, the Irish Defence Force, uh, I, I think I, I would endorse to, uh, as, as a good career path for any woman. I think they're a great opportunity if it's the, if it's the right kind of woman. Just like I would say, look, let me rephrase that. The Irish Defence Force is, as offers, offers great career opportunities for the right kind of person. Mm-hmm. And uh, we shouldn't be kind of obsessed about percentages. But what we should, and now this comes back to the, 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 where the rubber meets the road here now. The cultural, uh, and my colleague Tom Clona made this point himself rather eloquently a few days ago. We need to re-examine the, 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 the culture. Uh, and when I say the culture, I'm not trying how to... Do you, uh, Jack, and how do you change the culture of something which is predominantly male? And as always, we, and by your own admission, always going to be predominantly male. And, and, and it's been yeah. around that culture in that particular occupation, so to speak, has been around for so long. How do you change that? I'll tell you how. It's not about the fact that it's predominantly male. So there are other, like the fire service, the guard, they're still predominantly male or whatever, and they haven't had in recent times the same kinds of problems. It's about the leadership. It's about how we train leaders at both the officer level and the non-commissioned officer level. And what we need to look at is a different culture within how we look at rank. The uh, kind of too much deferential approach there should be a uh, to rank can be detrimental to creating a culture where abuse, whether not just of females but of anybody, can take place. And that is something that has is now rearing its head. The abuse of women is pointing a, a, out an issue that abuse of anybody can take place under certain circumstances. But t- particularly second, women or yeah. ethnicities or whatever it happens to be, of course. Precisely. Yeah. And the, yeah. the second thing I would say is uh, negative reinforcement. At times there's a place for that, but too much of that. And I know I, I have felt the bitter breath of negative reinforcement on my own neck during my military service, as have many Do they, do they still do that in the army? Does the sergeant still walk along the line? Because I was in the FCA, by the way, when I was 17 years of age in Griffith Barracks, not quite the same thing. But does the sergeant still walk around the line looking straight into your face and call you names? Does that still yeah. happen? Yes, but Niall, let me let me let me tell you something. That's yeah, that's that happens. Uh, they they can't swear. Uh, they're not supposed to to, to swear. Uh, but I mean, there's you know, if you've ever seen British Army uh, instructors in Sandhurst where they train officers, they, they, there's many ways to make a person uh, <laughs> to test a person's metal without having to use swear words when you're uh, mm. when you're shouting or raising your voice. But that's that's actually that's kind of. Uh, a necessity, I would say. It kind of sensitises you. That's not the, the issue. It's where it becomes insidious. It's where you have maybe uh, senior ranks who and sometimes take a dislike to somebody because they just don't like the cut of their jib or their attitude, and they go out of their way to undermine them. And so no matter what you do is never right. And those reports get written up and you're paraded and you're constantly be told that you're not measuring up. And you know in your in your gut instinct that you... you you know, you have your and, and you're right, that does happen in the Defence Forces and it does happen. It in, does. But, it, and, but and that wouldn't happen in the private sector, for example, because no. in the private sector, if that happens, you would take a case against somebody for bullying. Well, you have, you have legislation now within the Defence Forces uh, that uh, it, it can be brought into play to prevent bullying. But I would still, like, remember what I said there at the start, it's the simpler stuff. I think if we train our officers and our sergeants to, uh, to be less 
you know, to have less of the negative reinforcement. Now, I think that's, that's happening per se. There's a new breed of junior officer and NCO that I've encountered uh, in various uh, dealings mm-hmm. I've had with the Defence Forces. But I think we need to institutionalise it uh, from the top down. We need but to in the, me- in the media, that. we have a thing like that. We have these consultants that come into radio stations every now and again, and they have this theory uh, that it's called the sandwich effect, which is, you know, two good things, one bad thing. So in other words, you know, be positive and be positive, but, you know, be critical in the middle somewhere there too. And, Absolutely. And, and, and that's the way things should be done. Positive reinforcement is very important. But getting back to the original point, and just to finish up on it, we do sure. need to change the culture. We do need to make sure that we don't have, revisit this story again in 10 or 15 or 20 years' time when more women are encouraged to join the Defence Forces or those kind of arenas where women are not isolated or feel isolated or feel embarrassed or feel undermined just because they happen to be women. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the, the minister actually in this case has taken the right step. Rather than obsessing about outside consultants, there should be outside specialists from other militaries who have gone through this, but also include some of the women as they are themselves and listen to their stories. And, uh, you know, change comes from within as well as from without. And the best lasting change is where you have a collaborative process and you don't try and uh, destroy the good aspects of the culture that exist, and there are very good aspects okay. to DF culture. Listen, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the air. There you go, Declan Power, who's a uh, a security and defence analyst, of course, and he wrote a great piece in the Irish Independent. If you want to look at it today, there, Women of Honour, it's called. Okay, now I'm just looking at the news coming in here. By the way, the murderer uh, Wayne Cousins, who raped and killed Sarah Everard, has been given a whole life sentence whole life sentence. That means he will never leave jail. Never. He will stay in jail for the rest of his life. I want to talk about this today and not just talk about that particular case. And maybe I can get your reaction to that case as well. Um, If you've been listening to the evidence that had been given, I know it's been in the UK, but it's been in most of the papers over here too. And I think this is a particular story which has gone all over the world because of the way this particular case happened. And I don't know whether you actually heard the story in Officer who strangled Sarah Everett uh, with his police belt after kidnapping her under the guise of a fake arrest for breaking lockdown rules during the tough part of the lockdowns last year in COVID. Um, He's just got himself a whole life sentence. And basically, it's the most severe punishment available in the UK in the British justice system that he'll never, ever, ever come out of prison um, unless there's exceptional compassionate grounds to warrant it. Wayne Cousins, he's 48 years of age. He used to be a Metropolitan Police uh, issue warrant card and handcuffs, or should I say uh, Metropolitan Police officer. And he basically handcuffed Sarah Everett as she walked home from a friend's house in Clapham, South London, on the 3rd of March last year. So essentially, she was walking along the road. He pulled up and said, you shouldn't be out. There's a lockdown. And he showed his, his ID. Thankfully... That particular moment in time was captured on CCTV from a bus that happened to be passing by at the time. And you can clearly see him standing, she's standing, and he's shown her his ID. He was in a rented car that he had rented a day previous. So he had premeditated the whole thing. He drove her 80 miles before he then kidnapped or sorry, he tied her up with his police belt, raped her, and then killed her. He tried to destroy the body, tried to burn it. Um, but... We all know what happened after that. Anyway, it's a hor- horrible, horrible story. I, I, it, you can't even imagine. Can you imagine that was your daughter or your sister or your mother? I mean, it's a shocking, shocking story. And it's not just about a man killing a woman, which is shocking enough. It's shocking that he used his power as a police officer 
to make this woman vulnerable to him. If he wasn't a police, if this was just a man on the street who tried to do this to Sarah Everard, she might have fought back initially, but she didn't. She surrendered to him because she thought he was a police officer and she thought she had done something wrong by being out during a lockdown. She was going to work, come from work, for God's sake. So she surrendered to him, put her hands out probably, he put handcuffs on her, threw her in the back of the car, drove her 80 miles because she thought she was breaking the law. That's what makes this crime more horrible. That she didn't even get a chance to put up a fight. Anyway, he will join a list of people in the UK who've ended up in the same situation and got a full life sentence. It is a rare thing in the UK for it to happen, but it does happen. I think it should happen here too. I don't see any. There's been 60 people in the UK have got full life orders. Many of the names, that some of them would be household names that you'd be very familiar with, the likes of Fred West and people like that. Anyway, there's been a huge reaction to this case, of course, with protests breaking out across the UK in response and even a lot of people who are now calling for the death penalty be, to be returned. Now, let's talk about the death penalty. Um, <clears throat> the death penalty hasn't been in this country. The last person to be sentenced to death or to be hung in this country, I think, was 1954. Um, there has been... One other, I think, was sentenced to death, but was commuted by the president. Our death penalty was abolished and was removed from the Constitution, I think, in the earlier part of the 90s. Uh, we're now part of the European Union, and we can't reintroduce the death penalty because it wouldn't be allowed uh, as being part of the European Union. It wouldn't, uh, EU laws would prevent it. It has been removed from our Constitution anyway. So for to bring back the death penalty, we would have to have a referendum and leave the European Union, which many people out there, by the way, would completely agree with. But anyway, that's what would have to happen. But I'm talking theoretically. At the moment, for example, America would be quite famous for the death penalty. On April the 1st, 2021, there were 2,504 people on death row in America waiting to have their lives ended uh, because they've committed a horrible, horrible crime. You don't get the death penalty in America for nothing, by the way. It's usually for mass murder. It's usually for the murder of a child or for the murder and rape of a woman. Both those things have to happen at the same time. So it's usually for a heinous crime. And one and a crime where there is no doubt you're the killer. Now, don't get me wrong, there have been mistakes in the past. There are also people who got off on technicalities. But there have been mistakes where DNA evidence has later proved that somebody was innocent. So mistakes are made. But that's quite rare. Some people would say, well, one mistake is too many. Wrong person sentenced to death. And some people say, well, I might agree with the death penalty, provided the person pleads guilty. And provided we have absolute evidence, like Wayne Cousins, where he's on CCTV and we know exactly who did it. But if there's any doubt at all of it, the evidence say is circumstantial, that we should never, ever do it. But I want to know, if there was a referendum tomorrow and you were in a polling station and the simple question is, is would you like to see the return of the death penalty in Ireland for very serious crimes? The rape and murder of a child, the rape and murder of a woman, um, mass murder, assault, uh, serious assault and murder. Um, those kind of very serious, serious crimes. Would you like to see the death penalty return? Let me know what you think. The number is 087 Does it solve anything? Some people say no, it doesn't. All it is is government-sanctioned murder, which is exactly what you're actually killing the person for in the first place. States in America that have the death penalty, 
statistically don't have less murders than states that do. Or don't, should I say. I mean, it doesn't seem to make an awful lot of difference. It doesn't seem to be a deterrent because it hasn't stopped people committing homicide, as they call it, in the United States. The other thing is some people would say, well, look, at least it saves the taxpayer money. We don't have to put them in jail, which costs 80,000 euro a year. Others will say, no, leave them in jail. That's better punishment, sitting in a six-foot cell for the rest of their lives. But like likes of Wayne Cousins, <clears throat> pardon me, who committed this horrible, horrible crime, and I mean horrible crime, should he, someone like him, be sentenced to death? Uh, John, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How you doing, John? How you doing? It's been a long time since we've had hanging or guillotines or whatever it is in Europe, but certainly in America they still have the death penalty in certain states. Uh, do you agree with us? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, yeah. In, in what circumstances? Like, I mean, just for anybody who commits a murder? A murder, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. I, you know what I mean? I don't think, it had to be, obviously it had to be different circumstances in each. But was it a heinous murder, like, like what, say, what the cop did in... in, in in England, to something like that, like, definitely. Yeah. Oh, no, like, that's, what, it's what, a disgusting murder. That's a disgusting murder. Yeah. I mean, what about the argument that rather than, you know, sort of killing somebody for committing a crime like that, putting him in the prison for the rest of his life, which, by the way, Wayne Cousins will go to prison for the rest of his life. He will never get out of prison again. So he's a young man. Well, he's a reasonably young man. He's going to stay in jail for the rest of his life. That, that, some people would say that's better punishment. It'll make his life miserable. Yeah, it depends what the prison is like. Some of the prisons are handy enough. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I know, well, it's still, you still lose your liberty. I wouldn't like to be in jail. No matter what it's no. like. No, no, but, it's, they could, yeah, but again, it's just the whole cost of the state too. Like, do you know what I mean? If you do it for everyone, it's 80 grand a year, all that's up. Like, what are we getting now with that? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's some people out there that say, well, if I was being sent to jail for the rest of my life, I'd rather they just put a rope around my neck or I'd rather they just give me an injection and send me off out of here and be quicker. You know what I mean? So Probably. maybe it's the easy way out for some people too, you know? Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, hate is murder, you should be able to. Yeah. Okay, well, let's leave there. Let me just go to Joan. Joan, you're in Ireland's classic kids. How are you doing, Joan? Hello, Niall. How are you? Okay. And by the way, that case you spoke about in Clapham, my daughter missed that by an hour. Oh, my. Her best friend was a friend of that beautiful girl that was killed, and he was waiting there for that particular person to come. And he actually, the police station where he worked was only a couple of um, buildings down from where she stayed. Thank God she's coming back. And when you and you say he waited there, you're absolutely right. Because if you yeah. look at the evidence, he hired the car out the day before. So it was premeditated. He had the whole thing planned exactly what he was absolutely. going to do. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. she was a beautiful girl, having been on the phone to her boyfriend. And he was there. She thought he was... Um, Policeman, but of course, the big error in the whole story there was he'd actually done other things building up, and they didn't spit on him at all in the police station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but that's this, this, uh, and they've talked about this too. They need to be more vigilant when it comes to police officers, exactly. Uh, and yeah. in, indeed, in our own Garda Shea because of course, you know. Garda Shikana, police officers, fire department, every, we're all humans. And we're within, exactly. there, and, and unfortunately, there is humans out there who are not nice people. Okay, every, but, every human person can uh, do the big error in life or maybe not. Okay, yeah. but Joan, just as a matter of, in the interest of transparency, so you're a member of Amnesty International. That's right. Yeah, yeah. okay. So you don't believe in the death penalty. You don't believe it serves no, a purpose. Um, emotionally, yes. When you're talking about the death penalty, we'd all like to cut the head, for want of a better expression. Uh, the act of revenge, yes. It is cruelty, yes. 
our right to kill in turn, no, because it's barbaric. And of course, remembering too, as you mentioned there a while ago, that the government controlled the legalities of sensing in this country. So, you know, until they can uh, get a hand on that, if they ever do in Europe, that may be the only change we might uh, come. But I don't think it will. Um, do we want the barbarism of Saudi Arabia? Do we want the barbarism of the world at the moment, including states that wouldn't have been regarded as barbaric, but the sentencing is because they're killing them off in every country at the moment for no reason, some of them. Well, well you, there's a difference in killing somebody for no reason and killing somebody for a reason. Exactly. You've got to have evidence, the mistaken identity. I'll tell you what, in Ireland, what happened in America for years, that it was used uh, disproportionately against the poor. They had no money to give. And, again, and against black people. As well. Exactly. Yes. And the evidence. What, what, was the, what was the statistic there a while ago? I read somewhere in some states in the United States, you were 14 times more likely to go to jail for the same crime if you were a black man rather than a white woman. Oh, absolutely. Which is and shocking statistic. Uh, yeah. And of course, the racism of life, that's all. That's still there. That's still there everywhere, even in our back gardens. That's still there. And I imagine if you look on debt row, the 2,000, whatever it is, 2,400 or 2,504 people who are currently on debt row. I would imagine the majority of those are black people. And, and this, is the, this is the inequality, of course, in America, the American justice system. And, and if I can give you a very good example, a great friend of mine wrote sympathetically to a guy who was on death row for years. He languished in jail for 15 years. He prayed every day that they'd put the rope, as you used to say, or that they gassed him, whatever. He, what, what death penalty in America meant? Now, America have done away in loads of places with the death penalty. It didn't have any effect. Why? All those prisoners would have preferred actually to have had the death penalty. It was no deterrent, the death penalty. Well, it's, it's not, by the way, don't let's just focus on America. I mean, places like Taiwan, Sri Lanka, South oh, Korea, yeah. Nigeria, oh, Japan, uh, Iran. By the way, in Japan, it's a very interesting uh, justice system whereby the victims, so for example, Sarah Everett's parents could be there and they decide what happens to the person. Yeah, them. So yeah, they can decide if they get the death penalty. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. an extraordinary thing, that the law. But Niall, they, this guy languished in jail and going back in his life, they actually couldn't prove conclusively that he had murdered somebody. But he finally died. He died in jail because nearly every day, one day of the month, they come and say, tomorrow, yep, tomorrow, you're going to be put to death. And it went on for an awful long time in his life that anybody who thinks the death penalty is easier than those who languish in jail, totally isolated, an act of barbarism, you might say, but deservedly so too, when they enter. So you, so you believe that's a better punishment. Now, do me a favour, John, I want you to stay there because I want to come to Inga as well, but I'm, Inga, I need to go to a break, so please bear with me and be patient. I've got a little bit over time today. But Joan, stay with me as well, just to correct my uh, figure earlier on. 42% of those, by the way, in debt row in the United States are black, so it's a little bit less than half, actually. That surprises me. But when you look at how easily and the, dif- uh, the difference, I suppose, and the inequality in the way black people in America are treated uh, within the justice system. Anyway, uh, the number is 87 That's 087-188-0008. And I'm asking you, if you had the opportunity to vote tomorrow, would you reintroduce the death penalty? Inga, hi, hey, you're on Ireland's class of kids. Did you lose me? You did. I did. No, I didn't lose you. You're still there, Inga. <laughs> yeah, I haven't lost you. And Joan is still hanging in there yeah. too. Sorry, Inga, um, are you in favour of the death penalty? Would you vote yes to it tomorrow, you know, if it, if it was, if you were asked? When you see a horrible... And 
really disgusting well, crime like that of Sarah Gavish. Of course it was. He used his position and he sussed it out for God knows how many days before. Yeah. I think when it's an abuse of power, something like that, I would actually, God forgive me, I would give him the injection today. That's how I feel about it now. Mm-hmm. So you believe don't. he deserves to die? I mean, what's he going to do? He's going into jail now. Three lovely meals a day, the telly, the pool table. Yeah, but he's no Maybe liberty. He yeah, no, I, I know, I know people say that. Inga, I know people say that, but he's no liberty. He's never going to see outside the four walls. He has to rely on visits from people he knows if anybody actually loves the guy. Uh, but So uh, he has no liberty and will have no liberty for the rest of his life. He should never have any anything for the rest of his life. That girl didn't get a chance. Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just saying, you know, death penalty versus the rest of your life in jail. Actually, Niall, what I would do is I'd put him in a room where there were mothers and then see how, how he fares out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Niall? Just... Yeah, yes, sorry, Joan, yeah. Yeah, if I may intervene there, uh, there is a myth going around that when you go to jail, uh, you know, you get three meals, everything, all that sort of stuff. We're talking about... It's not, it's very... not a myth. People do get fed in jail. True, yeah. We're talking about very, very serious uh, murder, etc., where it's a completely different thing. And the difference that has to change very quickly is if you murder, you get life in jail. If you read every case, every case, and people will give out about judges, a brother-in-law judge, he'll say, oh, somebody said to him, why didn't Mickey Mouse there get um, life in jail, but they're getting two years off. He said that's in the hands of the government. Yeah, but see, life life in jail in this country, and and in the UK too, in a lot of cases, is 15 years. You know, or or in and around that. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen people get out after 10 years for murder in this country. Yeah, but it should be. It should be for life and that is on the very 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 serious cases of but we, do, we do have provision in law in this country to put people in jail for 22 to 24 25 years no, uh, but we don't see, we just don't seem to do it too often no okay but but I mean th- this particular sentence you know it's a pretty good sentence Inga it's the rest of his life in jail the rest of his life but I think it's also calling the police into question mm-hmm. I think any girl walking the street now over in London and I lived there for years you're going to be looking twice when a policeman ah, is going to no, shoot I, 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 I think that's and I've heard people say that <laughs> and I think that's really unfair because you know yeah. there are thousands and thousands a few hundred thousand maybe, police officers in the UK right and this man is a murderer and he's a scumbag an absolute scumbag right and deserves to rot in jail but that doesn't mean that every police officer is bad. And the same way as if it was a guard here in Ireland, you know, there's whatever, 15,000 guards. It doesn't mean that they're all bad. The problem is they're human beings. People, you know, police officers, well, there wasn't whatever. Well, something very human about him. No, but I'm just saying. You know, have a breakdown and snap. Yeah, well, look, they are human beings. And there's always going to be a small percentage of human beings that are head cases. So it doesn't matter whether they're guards or whether they're doctors or nurses. or There's always going to be some head cases in society. So you can't tar everybody in that profession with the same Yeah, brush. but not every head case is going to go out and stalk a girl and pick her up and then end up burning no, her body. There is head cases out there that can do in that. In every area of life, one can be a potential murder. We know not the day Absolutely. nor the hour. And common sense prevails. You've got to regard the human being in the light of day as to the degree of whatever way he's in. Is he mental? At the moment, we've heard of a huge increase of domestic problems. We've heard of all of those things. We then sort of break... 
you know, we blame the media. We blame. We've all blamed all the doctors who've told us that you're not going to live above eighty. We've all that um, emotionally. We'd love to murder them on the spot. There was one guy that you say you not live over eighty. I'm eighty three. I'm still living, and I'll give him a race down the road. And I, I love the chips off him. But anyway, Niall, uh, emotionally, everybody is capable of it. Um, well, absolutely, we're human beings. We're all capable of it, and we can all snap at any point. But stay there for a second. Just Inga and Joan. I gotta go to Jude as well before I go into the break. Jude, you're an Ireland's classic kids. How are you doing, Jude? Absolutely brilliant, Niall. Uh okay. Jude, okay, if tomorrow if you were asked to vote in favour of the death penalty, uh, to return it for certain crimes, heinous crimes, w- would you vote yes? Well, would it be like welcoming home an old friend, a long lost friend that should be there? And why why do you think it serves a purpose? A lot of people will think, well, you know, jail is up to, is meant to be about rehabilitation, blah 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 blah, retribution to some degree. But but the death penalty seems more about revenge. No, it's not. It is a form of it is a sentence that some that some countries carry out. Everyone is a winner. There's no complaint. The person who's even dead, there's no complaint. It's good because that does mean. But you but you can have the wrong person sentenced to death. You don't have to sentence them to death there and then. You, as that lady there, Joan, says, you can leave yep. them languishing for 20, 30 years or 40 years or whatever. You don't have to do it there and then. Give them all the rights to appeal. Everything. Exhaust everything. But it should be there because it would... It brings a certain amount of closure because there is no recidivism after the death penalty. It won't happen again. That person is not going to commit that crime again. No, you can't do that against human beings. We do not have the right. Uh, you had a topic on about death and, and, you know, is there a God and all that the other day, and I, and I mm. listened intently. Uh, we don't have the answers. People are trying to come up with answers. Oh, yeah, it's a fate, which the one word wasn't mentioned on that whole program. Some people have been lucky, blessed with fate. That's a wonderful gift to have because it makes you less afraid but, of dying. But when it comes to the death penalty, with, with respect, Joan, you can't bring religion or God into it because not everybody oh, no, has the same no, religion no, or believes in a no, God. No. So it has to be something that appeals to everybody in the population of the world. So in in relation to the death penalty, what Jude is saying is there's no recidivism, there's no way you're letting this person back into society, nor should you because they've committed uh, the worst crime they could possibly commit. So there are no so basically as far as he's concerned, they're a waste of oxygen and no loss to society. I'm not embracing religion into it, I'm only giving an example Okay, no, no, I I, I, I would respond to what Jude said there, that basically they don't deserve to live in society. And basically, we as human beings have no right to kill or put to death another human being. Who said that? Why Who do you said think that? It's a right? You're saying we don't have a right. Why can't I say we okay, should tell have me, the right? Tell me who gave you or who gives you the right to say they should be put to death? Who gives you the right? you say that a group of human beings who don't have the right and if you look around the country at the killings and the, the crime taking gives of, you the right. of thousands they were all half mad the people. crime gives you the right they lost any right when they do a heinous crime mm-hmm. child molestation raping a well, woman well you've got to give up the book of human rights they I mean, lost, I mean yeah, the sorry. right was lost there yeah, okay so I mean Joan I know being a member of Amnesty you talk about human rights do you believe Wayne Cousins the man who murdered Sarah Everett in such a horrible, horrible way. Do you believe he has rights? Or has no. he lo- did he lose all those rights the day he put the handcuffs on her and killed her? I would cut him into pieces emotionally, I would say that, but that still doesn't but get... But you have no idea, not answer the question. Do you believe he has rights? If he's I'm not going, talking emotionally. 
No, I'm talking practically. I'm being a pragmatist here. Okay. I'm, there's no emotion here. Okay, well, 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 hang, well, hang on. I don't know much time. Inga, do you believe he has rights? No, he doesn't. It's a life for a life. He, he planned what he was doing. He didn't yep. just go out and go, oh, oh, sorry, I hit you with my car. I didn't mean to do that. He planned it. That was premeditated. And he took pleasure That's- in it. Take him, take him out of the picture. Why should he language for how many years at the taxpayers' expense? Because exactly. in America, it's been proven that well, we're the not in London. Excuse we're me, not in America. we're half American here as it is. Uh, we'd like to tell you the deterrent. Okay, I, I know you're saying that it's not a deterrent. It may not be a deterrent, but as Jude is saying, Joan. You know, those people, the likes of Wayne Cousins, thankfully he will never be in society again because well, he'll be in jail. Up, but they don't deserve right. to breathe oxygen. Yeah, uh, of course not. We want you. I, I'd be the first to say, I'd love to cut him up in bits. I have no right as a human being. If you do, you're contradicting yourself. Your man killed. Oh, sure, no problem. We kill him now. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.